Hello everyone. So, it's been a little while. I apologize for that. Actually, so, um, I meant to do this podcast, this uh, specific podcast, two weeks ago. And I recorded everything. I I was actually uh, uh, streaming it like I am now. And um, it didn't it didn't stick. It didn't, uh, it didn't record. So, hmm. It's almost as if it went off into the ether somewhere. Unfortunately. But, um, here we are today. So, actually, that happened. Um, and two weeks ago on the weekend when I, when I went to, uh, record this podcast, the, uh, the stream didn't, uh, stick, didn't record, and all was unfortunately always lost on that. Um, it was, uh, it was very unfortunate. However, uh, then I, I actually, I booked a, <clears throat> a guest for yesterday. And he, this guest actually does not live in Japan, doesn't live in East Asia. He's all the way in America. And so, uh, time, time differences and scheduling and everything and we were able to have a very nice, um, awesome, great, great conversation about a lot of things and in his experiences um, when he was able to visit Japan and and, and his unique uh, journey to only visit Japan for a short time. And just like what happened two weeks ago, the audio well, this time the audio the audio did record, but about halfway through it cut out, and we lost half of the podcast. Um, and there was a lot of stuff that uh, that would have been great, great to hear. So instead of just giving half of a podcast, um, I I nixed that one as well. Um, so I will try and get him back on very soon. We'll we'll do the podcast again. But uh, so just a little bit of a delay. I uh, just wanted to let you guys know uh, about some some housekeeping on that end and some technical difficulties. Two weeks in a row, um, having uh, some some difficulties. But such is technology. But uh, thank you all for sticking around. You know uh, I appreciate that, and uh, and continuing to listen and support the the podcast. Uh, this one I'm going to pick up what I meant to do two weeks ago. So I'm going to talk about my t- my personal top places to visit in Japan, and as well as um, solo travel and why I find a lot of value in solo travel, and not just in Asia but um, anywhere in the world. And then, um, yeah, so uh, th- this will be more personal. No guest today. Um, the guest from last night will be rescheduled soon. So. Let's uh, let's get into it. Uh, there is uh, this uh, this podcast will be a little bit interactive. So if you decide to join in and ask some questions, I can answer them uh, live, and your your questions will go uh, onto the audio version. So uh, enjoy that. But without further ado, let's get into today's topic. So. Uh, solo travel and my top places to visit. Let's go into my top places to visit in Japan first. So, 
uh, just to preface this, I've I've been in Japan now going on 13 years, and to be honest, I even though I've traveled all over the place, I've only traveled within the main island, which is called Honshu, the main island. So Japan is made up of many islands, and there are four major islands. There's Honshu, which is the the biggest and the where the majority of people live in in Japan. The second largest is uh, Hokkaido, I think, which is the um, the top or the most northern uh, island, second largest. Uh, there's Kyushu, which is out in west Japan, and uh, Tokushima. Uh, Tokushima is part of it. I forgot the uh, the name. Uh, is I think it's Shikoku, yeah, uh, the Shikoku area, um, I believe. And then there's of course the Okinawan Islands, right? And that's not really considered. Kyushu, but it's in that same sort of zone, I guess, in Japan, wet, far western, you know, Japan, right? So, out of all those major areas of Japan, I've only traveled within Honshu, but I've traveled all over Honshu, uh, from all the way up north Aomori, all the way down to the south uh, Hiroshima and Iwakuni, um, Yamaguchi Prefecture. Mm. Uh, good coffee today. Uh, but the <clears throat> a lot of people know a lot about different places in Japan at this point um, with different videos you see on YouTube and um, in the internet and everything. Uh, so I'll, my intention here is not to not cover the more popular spots, but it's just a personal favorite er areas uh, of mine. And so some of them will be specific and some of them will be um, more for entire prefectures, I would say. And th these are not in any particular order. I like these areas for very different reasons. And there's a lot of areas that could have made this list and should be on the list, uh, but you'll probably find better explanations and better guides for them than, than me. These are just my personal top choices, right? So without further ado, let's uh, let's get into it. Um, first, let's talk about one that's close close to where I live, and that is Nikko. And Nikko is a World Heritage Site in Japan. It's uh, the the big shrine, Nikko Toshogu Shrine, is where uh, one of the most famous um, shoguns in Japanese history. Tokugawa Ieyasu is buried and you know there's uh, the, the temples, the shrines, the god bridge, Shinkyo bridge, right? All that's great. <clears throat> Lots of tourists go there and not taking anything away from it. I love that area of Nikko too. Um, however, this, 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 the part of Nikko that, I, that really I like the best is a little bit further than Toshogu. So if you uh, keep following up the uh, the road for Nico, um, past the shrine, past the past, you know those sorts of areas, you'll get to Irohazaka Road, which is a winding road up the mountain, and you'll get to a place called Oku Nico or Inner Nico, and there's this, you know small little shops there, and you'll see Lake Chuzenji, Chuzenji Lake, which is which you see right here. Uh, I took this photo somewhere around the summer of 2016 or 2017, I believe. 
uh, went camping up in up in Nico, which is wonderful. Um, just uh, just so you know, uh, if you think camping in this part of Japan in June will be warm, uh, you're wrong. It was very cold. It was very cold that night. But um, the daytime is wonderful. You know, wonderful skies. Beautiful, beautiful part of uh, of the of Japan. So I love this part of Nikko, and not only because of Lake Chuzenji, but there's a lot of mountains around here. Um, Nantai, which is uh, the most visible mountain in Tochigi Prefecture, it's not the uh, maybe the tallest in Tochigi, uh, but um, it's definitely the most noticeable one in Tochigi. Uh, it's not the tallest one in Kanto area. That goes to uh, Shirane, which is close by. But there are a bunch of mountains in this area of, of Nikko. Nantai towers over uh, the rest of them uh, in terms of just visualizing. Like, you can see Nantai from almost anywhere in Tochigi Prefecture. So Nantai is quite, um, quite the, the beast of a mountain there. But you also have uh, smaller hikes, uh, Shazan, and uh, different mountains in the area that you can climb around Nikko. Uh, Nikko, or part, what is it, uh, Shirane? The mountains of Shirane is part of Nikko, but it's partly in Gunma as well. So, <clears throat> lots of great uh, places to go hiking in this area. Summertime's very green, very nice. But then, the real beauty that stands out in Nikko, for me, is the autumn leaves. So, not only in Okuniko, but an area called Senjogahara, which is uh, kind of a, not, not quite a swamp, but a, a moor, I guess, you know. Um, the autumn leaves are very beautiful there. The area surrounding Lake Chuzenji, going down um, uh, Furikiri area, Furikiri Falls, that's really beautiful. So really the whole of Nikko is just amazingly beautiful in the, in the autumn season. And uh, it's really breathtaking. Uh, this picture was taken at sunrise. It was very cold uh, at that time, but amazing views. Um, just, just lovely, lovely views of... I think this is Sinjogahara right here, right? So... Just uh, Nico is just awesome in terms of the uh, the autumn views and um, just hikes, you know. So if you really are into nature, Nico is is um, probably one of my favorite places in Japan. So uh, next up. I want to go in the completely different direction. So we have Chiba. Now this is a beach. So there's really kind of two parts of, of Chiba. There is there's the kind of city city side of Chiba, which is kind of on the um, eastern part of Tokyo. So actually, you know, Tokyo stretches into western parts of Chiba, right? So that's very much parts of uh, Tokyo. You know, you have Matsudo and Ichikawa and you know places like that but if you go further east keep going east uh, the whole eastern side of Chiba prefecture you'll have 
long stretches of views of ocean and beaches that look like this all the way from east all the way south and this is in the southeast corner of, of Chiba and this beach in particular was really off the beaten path so in the distance there you can kind of see parts of like a beach town right but this beach here there was absolutely nobody there absolutely none and the only way I you know I found this uh, was uh, you drive driving like through some of the off off roads not on the main road and I saw there was a fence that a wooden fence a little bit of barbed wire around it but there was uh, an opening in the fence that looked like it was made intentionally and it didn't look like um, the owner uh, put didn't put up any signs that said keep out or anything in fact there was like a little footpath that, that went through so it seemed to be clearly open but not not advertised right and down the path leads you to this beach and like I said there was absolutely nobody else there when I went to visit there's very little sand on this beach it was mostly rocks but it was still still a very very uh, beautiful thing to see yeah so the whole of eastern and southeastern Chiba are, are littered with beaches that look just like this cliffs and, and rocks into the ocean and for me this area of Chiba almost feels like a different I wouldn't say a different country but it, it definitely has a different feeling than the rest of Japan uh, the only other time I've, I've seen um, very similar beach area to this has been um, in Shizuoka around Ito and Izu and I, I know a lot of you, if you're uh, if you're listening to this on the audio version, you can't really quite get the uh, the image that I'm that I'm seeing here. This is a very visual podcast, by the way. So I apologize to the audio only viewers, but um, uh, if you really want to get the most out of this podcast, check it out on YouTube. Um, it'll the live stream will be up. So um, it's uh, it's very visual, but I'll do my best to try and describe it. If not, so. If anything, if you take away anything from it, just keep these uh, names in your in your head, and you'd you'd like to uh, to go visit. But Chiba <clears throat> has some great beach areas, beach towns. Uh, Katsura, I went there a few years ago, and uh, it's it's really out of the way. Um, if you drive there, you know, from really even from Tokyo, it's a few hours. Uh, if you live in Chiba Prefecture, it's okay, but to get there, but uh, from Tochigi, it was about a five-hour drive, but it was definitely worth it to get there because, you know, you have the blue beaches, uh, blue ocean, or sorry, the beaches aren't blue, the beaches are very sandy, but uh, the ocean is blue, and um, it's just beach, beach vibes all around, and they're not as, and what's really cool about the, the Chiba beaches are they're not as crowded as beaches you'll find in like a Shonan area area of uh, you know the beaches where most of the people in Tokyo go to and I think it's because it's so out of the way that a lot of people don't go there from Tokyo they'll, they'll just go to closer beaches around um, Kanagawa and um, you know Shonan area Esojima which is which is really great another area is really nice is Esojima but uh, Enoshima I'm sorry uh, Enoshima Enoshima is near Kamakura, 
and that area is really nice but again more it's it's more crowded you'll get a, a lot of the crowds there um, Chiba beaches will have people for sure but it won't be nearly as as crowded so really some some high cliffs barnacles so yeah this is actually um, along the path that leads to that beach So, highly recommend eastern and southeastern Chiba. Uh, along the eastern uh, uh, coast, I guess, and the entire eastern coast of Chiba, there's a highway that you can drive and just have a view of the, of the ocean the whole way down. So, it's, 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 uh, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful uh, summer getaway, or any time of the year, really. I would say next... Um, Well, I'll talk about that here in a second, sorry. Um, so next will be Aomori. So this uh, Aomori prefecture is the, probably is the most northern prefecture in Honshu. It's just a, a rock skip from Hokkaido. But in the summertime, it's absolutely amazing up there. Um, there's a lot of apples that come from Aomori that are really delicious. Uh, Aomori is really famous for its for their apples um, but Aomori City in, in Hirosaki and this is where this picture is this is near Hirosaki Castle it's the bridge leading to Hirosaki Castle um, it's Hirosaki Castle is one of the more you know famous visited uh, visited castles in Japan so it's, it's quite an, uh, a nice sight to see if you like uh, Japanese castles but the garden around it is uh, is very very nice this is just some old, uh, some old, you know, um, energy drink, I guess. Uh, these these energy drinks, uh, the old posters for some energy drinks, you know, vintage posters, right? So what's really cool, so you see that this is kind of a preview of what I'll be talking about. So these are floats for the, this one in particular is for the Hirosaki Neputa Festival, but um, Aomori City has the more famous Nebuta Festival, which is a nighttime parade of a lot of floats, and they're 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 lit up really brightly at night. So there's uh, Hirosaki Castle right there. So here's where we get to Nebuta Festival. So again, it's a it's a nighttime parade. The floats are very big and very bright and very colorful and you'll see lots of great visuals uh, at nighttime here so lots of oranges yellows reds blues um, you know very f like kind of famous fighting scenes from Japanese folklore um, onis demons samurai like the whole thing yeah it's uh, it's very visual and very uh, it just pops out. It's very vivid for you. It's definitely a sight to see. Um, the, the, the Nebuta and, and Nebuta, which we'll get in a second, these festivals happen in, uh, I believe, early August, uh, maybe right around the time of Obon um, in, in Japan. So it's a, definitely a summer festival, a lot of summer 
vibes, lots of, you know, outside drinking and, and, and fun. So you see the, uh, they would have these giant taiko drums that, you know, dozens of people would be playing on at the same time. So then you get to Hirosaki has the Neputa festival and again similar to the Neputa they, you know they have the giant taiko drums lots of people walking around in parades but I found the Neputa festival in Hirosaki to be a bit darker than the Neputa festival so Neputa is very bright colors very vivid very, just very colorful and bright, right? Neputa is much darker. The scenes on the floats are darker. The colors are more, you know, subdued, not as bright. And um, I would say the imagery is even a bit scarier, um, you know, especially for, for children. Um, there's a lot of beheadings and, and violence on some of these. Uh, but the very different uh, artistic styles uh, between the two, and I'm to be honest, I'm not really sure why they're they're specifically different. I may have heard back when I visited, but uh, I would definitely recommend visiting Hirosaki and, and Aomori City during the summertime to check this out because it's a uh, to me it's one of the more unique festivals in Japan, and I'd love to go back. Uh, and, and check it out again someday. Yeah, so very, very dark imagery, lots of battles, blood, guts, things of that nature. But um, yeah, there we go. Uh, nothing like a, a head on a spike to um, to to show you a good time, right? But uh, Aomori is is just a great place. I, I love the vibes up there. The people are great, and um, I, I'm definitely going back again someday. I'd like to visit during the winter time as well. It's a uh, it's quite uh, cold. It's definitely colder, but um, it's uh, it's not as um, you know. Th there'll probably be a different uh, different culture for it up there during that time. And um, lastly, uh, I wanted to talk about Kanazawa. So I, I don't have the, the photos of Kanazawa with me at present, uh, but um, Kanazawa is one of my favorite places in, in uh, Japan, and I really didn't know much about it until uh, last year. I went there for the first time last year, and this was during the right before... Um, right before the coronavirus really took off in Japan, it was starting, it had already started, and there was, you know, people were cautioning about travel, but I figured I'd get one last uh, bit of travel in before what I could, you know, see as the, you know, the pandemic really taking off here, and when I got to Kanazawa, it, you know, they had already started shutting down some places, so I didn't get the full experience, but uh, I've never really knew much about it, but I would say it's um, it's very similar to Kyoto in a way. So if you ever go to Kyoto, <clears throat> you'll notice that a lot of the shrines and, and temples and whatnot are very 
you know, they're, they make Kyoto, right? But because, because of that culture, because of all these shrines and temples, you don't see a lot of, you don't see much of any skyscrapers or big buildings in Kyoto. So even though Kyoto is quite a large city, it's very spread out and uh, it's not built up. And that's to keep the focus on the on the shrines and temples. And uh, it's a very similar vibe you'll get in Kanazawa. Now Kanazawa um, has you know shrines and temples, but it has some of these old old Japanese town districts, you know, um, the Chayamachi, uh, both east and west. Chayamachi has lots of uh, old Edo style neighborhood feel to it. Um, lots of traditional Japanese um, culture, suites, and um, buildings there. And you won't see a lot of tall buildings in Kanazawa either. You'll see more. You'll see more of them than than, uh, than you would in Kyoto. But uh, again, it's a very uh, more spread out city and, and less built, built up, right? And another uh, reason why I, I enjoyed Kanazawa so much was it was, I would say it was, uh, it, it focused on a lot of art. And you don't see a lot of places in in Japan, at least I haven't, where there's just public art is just part of the culture of the city. You'll see, you'll see works here or there, but um, Kanazawa just has it uh, everywhere. There's many um, modern art museums there. Uh, and then you'll just see sculptures throughout the city, uh, just giving it its sort of artistic culture. And uh, of course, the uh, the seafood in Kanazawa is is great. I was never a huge fan of seafood growing up, and I learned to appreciate it coming to Japan. And uh, if you're a fan of sushi, sashimi, um, fresh crab, all of that, you'll find some very very excellent um, seafood in Kanazawa. So sorry uh, that I wasn't able to get the uh, the photos for that. Um, I will, if you check out my uh, my Instagram and and whatnot, I have all of the Kanazawa photos from from last year up there. So uh, quick plug to uh, to that, as well as uh, my website. You can find all of that on there as well. So uh, these are places for me that have really topped my my experience in Japan. The, these are places that I will remember forever. And like I said, there's many places that I could have put on the list that um, that will always stick around with me as well. But most of these places, though, I, you know, say for Nico, I didn't really actually travel to alone. I didn't, at this, at this point, I didn't do a lot of solo travel. But a lot of my travels in Japan, as well as um, America and uh, East Asia, have been solo trips. And traveling solo is a very different experience than traveling with people. And for me, I find it's a very therapeutic thing to do. Like uh, Every solo trip I've taken has has been after quite a major change in my life and it's it's not that I did it intentionally it they just sort of happened that way and and 
um, what it really helped me do is get out of the environment that I was in and kind of reset my brain. My brain was able to reset and uh, kind of defrag and recharge and refresh and go back at it again. So, um, I mean, some of my favorite solo travels have been, you know, to uh, a week in Thailand, hiking through northern Thailand, the mountains of northern Thailand, um, uh, doing a, um, a solo road trip through the state of Colorado in the USA. And, uh, you know, I had, I had plans on going to Vietnam last year in, um, in 2020, but uh, international travel was unfortunately uh, curbed because of the virus situation. So uh, Vietnam is, is very um, high on the list of places that I'd like to, uh, that I'd like to visit as well. And uh, definitely um, solo. I wouldn't mind going with people as well, but uh, I definitely want to make one solo trip to Vietnam as well as um, South America, places in uh, uh, Peru or Brazil and uh, Chile. I would like to travel to uh, do some solo stuff out there. And not only do you have a chance to refresh your mind and, you know, clear out a lot of old junk and make way for a new chapter, so to speak, you know, that's not the only purpose of solo travel, but it really helps you identify more with yourself. Like, um, and what I mean by that is, of course, you meet new people and you meet random people, and it's it's cool meeting, you know, different different people that you've never interacted with before. But the person you spend the most time with is yourself. And you have, you're not at the whims of anyone else's schedule. You're on your own schedule. And you have the freedom to just go wherever. Um, all of my solo travels, I, I never really planned. I had ideas of places where I wanted to go or what I wanted to do, but I, I didn't plan anything out. I just went, and when I woke up in the morning... I figured out where I was going to go for that day. And the joy in having that freedom to just, you know, uh, the, the joy, the freedom, the joy of that freedom of just not being beholden to any, any other's whims but your own and to just figure out where you're going, wandering, is, is very refreshing. I think, and I think it's something that a lot of people should do at least in their life, at least once in their life is, uh, is take a solo trip. You know, um, a lot of people unfortunately can't travel, you know, they, they have to support, you know, their families and they can't, they can't really get a lot of time for them themselves. But if they, but if you can, that is something that I, I, I really highly recommend that people do because it really helps you get in tune with your yourself, your wants. You know, it's it sounds very selfish and, and ego-driven, and there, there, there might be some ego in there, but I find it helps. It helps uh, you identify that part of yourself, identify your egotistical way of thinking and sort of 
put it away. So spending time, more time alone and in your own head kind of tampers down the ego in a way, at least for me. And it's, uh, I've always had great times coming back from these solo trips and uh, just, just enjoying life a lot more. And some people do it for months at a time. So a really good book on solo travel that I'd recommend to anyone who's interested in the topic is Vagabonding by Rolf Potts. Uh, he, Rolf talks about uh, his journeys through Southeast Asia, solo travels he made in the 90s, and, and different trips that he's made on his own. And he would do these for months at a time. And uh, you really... He would journal a lot of his his experiences, and he, uh, he did. He wrote about it. He wrote the book Vagabonding based on that. So um, if you really want to get into the psychology of that, it's... Uh, it's really, it's very, very interesting. It's, it's very fascinating to, to kind of learn that about yourself. So that's my advice on that is, uh, yeah, of course, traveling with people is great. It's fun. You get to have a great time with people that you like being around. But if you want a different experience, um, solo travel is definitely something that is uh, very important for me. And I'd highly recommend to a lot of people. So... Um, that's what I wanted to say on that topic. Um, yeah, again, I hope that this, uh, that this podcast as, uh, let's see. Yeah, well, we got some, uh, we got some people viewing, so that's good. Um, but what I really wanted to, really, really wanted to do is just show you guys, uh, some places that I enjoyed visiting throughout Japan and um and talk about solo travel uh again the guests will be back next time i unfortunately both this podcast two weeks ago and the podcast from yesterday didn't make it so i'll reschedule that guest very soon his story's great um we had an awesome awesome conversation that unfortunately got lost um some you know just my luck two weeks in a row something like that happens but um back in the saddle so um he may not be on the in the next episode but we'll definitely get him back on sometime soon so uh thank you guys very much for sticking around uh tuning into this solo uh podcast uh, i guess we'll be back next time and um if you liked this one um so here i'll, I'll do a bit of um promotion here at the end then so i uh, save save you guys that uh, so you don't have to listen to it at the beginning if you like these podcasts, if you like the guests that I talk to, you know, um, feel free to share the podcast. And, um, you know, if you listen, if you're listening to it on your favorite uh, podcasting app, such as uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give it a uh, give it a rating, you know, uh, whatever you feel is is a good rating to give me uh, because and anything helps gives me some good feedback for what you would like to see and listen to in the future, you know, so as well as check out, uh, my social media stuff, uh, my photography and travel experiences are on Instagram and, uh, as well as on uh, Twitter, you can find me there. 